Joe, as you know, I'm trying to get in shape, and I ran around the block 10 times the other day. 10 times. Um, then I got tired, so I picked the block up, put it back in the toy chest, and took a nap. <laughs> I ran around the block. It's kids' block. You know, Joe, if you're lucky enough to own an Ewok, um, you gotta you gotta keep them in the house. You know, they're definitely uh, indoor pets. Ewoks oh, and or indoor pets. Indoor pets. Indoor pets. Gotcha. Yeah. There, there you go. Anyway, uh, that, that, that's just how this is all going to go today. Hello, everybody. I'm Jacques. I'm a sad loser. Welcome to Carnival Personnel. That ray of sunshine is Joe's what he meant to say. Uh, Joe, how has your week been? Good. How has your week been? It's been good. I uh, had another FNH Zoom call put together by friend of the podcast, uh, Biff, last night. It was great. Um, it was hard to stay up. I was just, it was, I was exhausted, and it was 11 o'clock our time, and I did. I fought to stay up, and it was good. I got to chat with a couple guys who weren't on the last call, you know, our friend, um, his name is Mark Parker, but, you know, more, more, more lovingly known as Healthy Scratch. But it was great to see a bunch of these guys towards the end of the first hour because it was scheduled for two hours. A couple uh, couple of the guys who, look, it's not so much that they're second-line guys, and I really don't have time for second-line guys in my life. Uh, uh, but a couple of them are Trumpkins. You know, there was a couple Trumpkins on the first part of the call, but kept it at bay. But as soon as... It was more than, let's say, a couple Trumpkins on. I did the Irish goodbye and just, you know, text text everybody this morning saying, hey, it was great to see everybody. Looking forward to the next call. But as, as we've talked, my, my tolerance for putting up with Trumpkins is, uh, well, what's less than zero? <laughs> it's a John Cusack movie. And a very good one at that. Um, and this week, uh, as we record... I'm I'm a mere, uh, let's say, 20 hours away from uh, putting the band back together. Jake and Elwood Blues. Uh, Dan and myself are going to jam for the first time since February come tomorrow. And I am excited. I, I'm as happy as a little girl. <laughs> uh, nervous, too, because honestly, we have like three new things. We were working out before we went into lockdown, and it's okay playing them with the headphones on and the drums toweled off at the house, but it's not quite the same. So it's going to be interesting to see if we are on the same page five months later. It Literally, it's been five months since we've jammed. Um, you know, I, I, I think... I don't know the last time we've gone five months without jamming. Even when I lived in Qatar and I would come back for visits, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't know how often we went five months without jamming in forever now that we live like 50 minutes away. But uh, I'm excited about that. You know, um, you know, his wife works out of the house. He works at a job where he's the only one there when he gets there. Pretty much he might see one person. Uh, it's one of those um you know, uh, interweb security things where there has to be somebody there. And I think as he's clocking in, like Ralph is clocking out, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but the highlight of my week, or as I should say, the low light, uh, I, as we speak, 
um, have the same legal right to drive as my children who I've taught to drive during the pandemic. I have an expired license and I haven't been able to get an appointment with the DMV since it, you know, before it expired. It literally took like two plus months to get in there. I get there the other day. Yeah, they don't accept the passport, my expired California ID, or the five pieces of mail that I have with my name and address on it as acceptable to prove who I am. I like I literally had my car registration. Nope. The transponder, you know, registration. Nope. Like I had tickets from like two states that don't recognize the Massachusetts transponder. You know, it works in some states and not others. It mailed me tickets that got to the house, it got paid for that, you know, I have the print like nope. Five pieces of mail. Did you try your astronaut application form? Uh, you know, that's, that's, uh, I got every question wrong, but the data part, <laughs> you, know? you know, so honestly, I, and, and then I come home, it's like, fine, got to make another appointment. They gave me a list of acceptable things. And for three days in a row, it, it only books two weeks in advance and everything was taken. So I had to wait till midnight for it to open up like the next day and literally got the first appointment I could possibly get, which is like another two weeks. So honestly, my my 10-year-old who I taught to drive during the pandemic, you know, has just as much a right on the road as, as I do, I think, in, in the eyes of the law. But, but the highlights of the week is my good friend and, and podcast co-host, uh, partner in crime, Joe, introduced me to Peacock this week. And uh, – I thank you for it that, you know, I, I, I think once you told me about Peacock, when we recorded last week, the majority of the time, the next 96 hours I spent was, uh, diving through the catalog, which you opened my world to because the other nine streaming services didn't have, uh, Fletch or Fletch lives, (laughs) um, or, or Godzilla movies, or there are a lot of, um, Monster party movies or monster high school, weird off brand. You know, I think like those asylum production movies where it's not Pacific Rim but Atlantic Rim, those types of knockoff movies. Yeah, you know, and last night I actually watched Big Fan for the first time. That's the 2009 comedy slash drama with Patton Oswalt as a crazed New York Giants fan. Dude, Patton Oswalt has done a bunch of those indie movies and, you know, low, low, not low budget, but, you know, independent movies. And he's great in all of them. That's I'm so glad that you found that because it's a movie that I've asked sports fans about and and nobody has heard of that movie. Um, And everybody in it, I like like his best friend. Oh, gosh, he was on a... Yeah, Kevin Corrigan. He was on uh, The Sopranos and Grounded for Life. Grounded for Life. That's what I knew him from. And Michael Rappaport. Yep. Uh, But the whole thing between... I mean, they nailed... They nailed sports radio, especially like a decade plus ago before the big national syndicated shows, you know, the local things. And I was reading on IMDb that it was interesting how Patton Oswalt's character, when he was taught, when he would call into the show and talk about the Giants winning, he would refer to them as we. But when they lost, he would refer to them as they. I picked up on that. Um, I, I might be guilty of that myself. <laughs> Pretty I, much. I, I'm not saying I am. I, I can neither f- confirm or deny. 
but yeah, no, and that's a great movie. And then when he, you know, goes down to Philadelphia and and that's a, the end of, that's the well, that's the end of the movie, right? No, the end of the movie. Ah, come on. No one's going to see. It came out in 2009. If you haven't seen it, by I haven't point. seen it by now. What okay. are you talking about? All right. Well, we will. Please remember to put it on the rundown for next week because I do want to talk about the end of the movie because, despite everything, it was uh, it was me pre Brady leaving, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you know, t- you know, type of thing. No, it's great. Um, I watched the Thirty Rock. Um, Commercial, the one-off uh, special, the one-time special. Is it a special or was it a commercial? Now, look, I don't want to say that everybody associated with that is money grubbing horse. You know, I don't want to say that because I love the show and I love those people, and I think it's brilliant that they had such a self-awareness. Look, we're being complete shills and whores for the man. But it's a paycheck. We can't work otherwise. Here you go. It, it was brilliantly done. It was because, uh, you know, I saw the Parks and Recreation special, which was good. A couple other shows like Hamilton cast where you reunited to do it. I've seen a bunch of these Zoom get togethers, but this is a this was great. It, it was brilliant, but it was a 30 minute commercial. Um wrapped around real commercials <laughs> yeah it was which made it an hour-long special and it's insufferable to watch because at least that portion because you really their fast forward and, and skip forward functions are nil they're they don't they're you might as well just leave it on you might as well be on like a vhs tape you know where you just have and you've lost the remote like that's the only way really to watch peacock um, the other thing I real quick, real the other thing I tried to check out because I hadn't seen it since I'd seen it in the movie theater. Howard the Duck is on Peacock, oh. the worst piece of shit movie. I don't think I think in the eighties. I think you go through. Well, first of all, I, I, you know just just to top off, you know my take on the Thirty Rock and the Peacock thing. I, again, I, I love I love the catalog that they have, and we'll talk more about that. Um, did you watch the the outtakes and the making of <laughs> at the end of the Thirty Rock special? I think I did. Yeah, but I, remind me um, the the woman who plays Jenna Maroney, like. There, she does a she does a song on it, and it has the dramatic wind blowing her hair back and all that stuff. Yeah, and then it's, and, it's, it, and the, she shows the camera around. She turns the camera around, and it's like her little kid holding a fan <laughs> to blow her hair back. Yeah, Jane Krakowski. Yeah, and the guy who plays Kenneth, who also played the woman obsessed with Kenneth, who was like massaging his own face, but with the thing, and he's like. Yeah, yeah, Jack McBrayer. They're all great. I like. I really like their work on Match Game. I do. I just want to say that. And of course you do. Uh, But then, like Alec Baldwin, like I don't know if it's his wife or his kids were in the background, and he's like really snaps. He's like, "I'm trying to work over here." (laughs) Yep. Uh, But no, it 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 was it was great. So I'm glad. I'm glad that you you know had turned me on to to that. I mean, I I did watch. Uh, who's the guy who plays Ross on Friends? David Schwimmer. Uh, David Schwimmer, thank you. He has a Peacock original show called uh, Intelligence. Okay. And it's one of those things where you get the first one for free, 
like selling drugs to children on a playground, but then you got to subscribe to Peacock for the five bucks a month. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? I'm tapped out. You know, and I'm like, yeah, this was a good pilot. Eh, it looks like a fun show. Not five bucks worth to watch the rest of the season, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and by the way, you're cut off. I'm not, you know, friending you anymore. Subscriptions. You're on your own. You want Peacock? You're shelling out the dough out of your <laughs> own goddamn pocket. But seriously, and, and, it is great because, I mean, I think I have watched everything on Amazon Prime, <laughs> and I, I'm dead serious. I know, I know. There's nothing on Disney Plus that I want to see that I haven't seen. Like, I there's nothing that I want to see that I haven't seen on Disney Plus. Not that I don't like it. Uh, there's a couple new things on Netflix that I think you know. But seriously, I can't. I'm not doing another. You know, I mean, if it's free, it's free. I do like. When I watch Fletch and Fletch Lives, because, you know, I'm a boss, so I watch both of them the same day. Uh, here's three minutes of commercials up front. So, and that's fine. You know what I mean? No, you can't fast forward and stuff. But Yeah, big fan did that, too. It was, it was two minutes of commercials and then commercial free the rest of the movie. Like, you didn't, there wasn't any break. So that was good. And although when I watched Howard the Duck, I think it was trying to tell me something. Because after the scene in which Leah Thompson's character goes through Howard the Duck's wallet while he's sleeping and pulls out a little duck condom... It goes to the commercial break, but or tries, and then it pauses and skips, and like I had to like restart it, and then finally I was like, "What am I doing? This is Howard the Duck." Even I have standards. You know, they they did a great episode of the Goldbergs where Adam Goldberg, who produced, who directed and produced Howard the Duck. Well, George Lucas produced it, but no, right. different director. But but so George Lucas, and I think, I think it was post. Um, Indiana Jones, like, like yeah, yeah, it was after he, Temple of Doom, and, and so Alan Go Adam Goldberg in the show, who's obsessed with George Lucas and Star Wars, and Indiana Jones thinks, oh, this is his next movie. It's God, <laughs> you know, and, and the fact that they've tried to legitimize it in retrospect by having the cameo of of um, was was it. Seth Green did the um, the voice of Howard the Duck in the end of Guards of the Galaxy. He was part of the collection. Right, right. It's like, dude, no. It was more. Just, of a, I think that was more of like a hey, a little nod, wink. We're not. Don't worry, we're not doing a movie on Howard the Duck. We knew how stupid that was the first time. We're learning from Lucas's mistakes. But uh, yeah, an interesting factoid I learned about that is that apparently he uh, Lucas had just bought like Skywalker Ranch. And he was banking on Howard the Duck being such a success that it would pay off what he had paid for Skywalker Ranch. And when it bombed, he had to sell a bunch of stuff. And one of the things he sold was a, 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 a new CGI portion of Lucasfilm to one Steve Jobs that later became Pixar. Wow. Yeah. So. What could have been. Mm -hmm. So anyways, yep, things happen for a reason. Um, so I watched Fletch and Fletch Lives, and as we've been talking for a while, my family's been binge watching, you know, not binge watching, like one episode. We probably watch three or four episodes a week of Community, and we're on the last season now, or like an episode away from last season, so we're starting to have that buyer's remorse, you know what I mean? We don't want to, but the little guy, our youngest guy, was kind of watching Fletch, kind of on his iPad, and then he realized about 10 minutes in, he's like, wait, is that Pierce 
from community. It's like, yeah, yeah this is Pierce 40 years ago, like literally 40 years ago or almost 40 years ago. Uh, and so he, he ended up becoming invested in it and he watched Fletch is a great movie start to finish. Everything about the movie is great. It's I'm, I'm trying to think if I love a cherry chase vehicle more than Fletch. I would have to say Christmas vacation for me. Yeah, yeah, okay. The the the, the vacation far, thing. As far as rewatchability goes, you know, Fletch is great. There's a lot of great lines, but Vacation is just the. It's a. I think a better cast, and we. You know, we're not going to argue the merits of every Chevy Chase movie. We, we might. We might. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> Have you not been listening? <laughs> I'd rather do that than the, what's on this fucking rundown. But you know, um, yeah, it's it's great that there's you know more to watch. Because we're going to have more time to watch as the months and years go on. Who knows? Uh, did watch Fletch Lives, and it's fine. Um, you know, it's like, I, it, I don't remember at the time, but in rewatching it, I'm like, wait a minute. That's, that's, and I'm trying to, you know, I'm looking at it. Uh, what is his face? Uh, the guy from Blazing Saddles, Levon. Oh, Trayvon Little? N- is that I mean, uh, I mean Cleavon Little? Cleavon Little, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he, you know, he's in it. Um, oh wow! And it's great because I realized, like, oh wait, this kind of on brand the the zippity doo number, you know, because Fletch ends up inheriting an old plantation house <laughs> in the South, you know. Um, and that, and that's I hate to have story. one. They, he inherited one in the North. Imagine right <laughs> they, they, they had them. Okay. They did have them, right. you know. Uh, both sides. Yeah. Both sides. And then, both, and then, you know, but they did. They had the whole animated thing. And I wonder, like, how much Disney signed off on, you know, on yeah. that. And it's like, hey, it, at that point, was sound was songs of the South still available on VHS? When did Disney finally say, hey, what's song, uh, song of the no. South was never released on VHS. Never. Okay. It was re-released in the theaters in 86, which is how I saw it. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, oh, maybe, okay. you know what? Maybe I lie. Maybe Song of the South was on VHS because I think we'd seen it in school as well. So it had to have been. <laughs> I don't know. I think we did a play. That's what it was. Yeah, we did Song of the South, the musical. Anyway. Be- before yeah. we move on, I do want to thank you again for turning me on to Peacock because where else? Where else, Joe? Would I have seen Mikhail's Navy joins the Air Force. <laughs> yeah. Is that the yeah. Ernest Borgnine original McHale's name? Yeah, okay. it is. Like, it was a special. It came out a couple years after the show. Uh, McHale's Navy joins the Air Force. And I'd like to recommend it, but there's maybe three people. And you might be one of them. And the other two people have their own podcast called uh, called uh, Gilbert Gottfried's <laughs> Might be interested. Like, as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, how many people scroll by this on Peacock and say, yeah. I got this kind of time. <laughs> Me. Oh, okay. I'll check that out. Mikhail. You know what? I never really watched Mikhail's Navy growing up. Nobody did. You know, I mean, I think it's cycled out of syndication by the time you were watching syndication. Like, I'm, I'm that era of syndication. Yeah, like late Just, 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Well, then they made that Kelsey Grammer movie in the 90s. Right. That was weird. I, I, I don't think it did well. <laughs> uh, no, it did not. Um, after the podcast, Joe, uh, I'm going to do my country a, a great service. We have two couches at our house and like, you know, kind of a big, you know, cushioned armchair. I'm going to spend time 
digging through the couch cushions yeah. and the chair cushions. And then I'm going to go out to both mine and, and management's car and search the cushions between the seats and that because uh, as a good American, I know the biggest problem facing us right now is a coin shortage. <laughs> Oh, and I'm going to try to find as many coins as I can. And I wish I was kidding, but I was in a store the other day, and it's the first time I've seen them ask for exact change or any coins if you have them because there's a coin shortage. And I'm like thinking, what kind of racket is this these people are pulling here? And it was. It was at a 7-Eleven. I stopped when uh, the little guy and I were doing our runs to get him an icy when we were doing the food bank drop-off. And I'm like – in my head, I'm like, what kind of scam is this? Because because this is a 7-Eleven in Lowell, and there's a tip jar right on the front counter. And, it, you know, hey, God bless them. It's like, you know, uh, you know they're keeping the pennies for the penny, you know, <laughs> leave a penny, take a penny scam they've been running forever. But I did. I get back out to the car, and I'm like, what is this all about? And then I'm reading, yeah, there is a nas- national coin shortage and the Americas right now, and I think that's the greatest problem facing our country. Okay, it makes sense because obviously with a pandemic going on, people aren't going to stores, people aren't exchanging money, and the coins are falling out of circulation. This is probably other currency, but more so coins. So, okay, yeah, so you be the Super Mario in your house and find it. <laughs> so if you find 100 coins, do you actually get a life? Oh! Wow. See, I just... There's so many reasons I love you, and and, and, and that reference just pushed it up. You know, towards One other thing I want to mention briefly before we move on to the awful, as you say, is that on Twitter, <clears throat> I follow Triumph the Insult Comic Dog, a.k.a. Robert Smigel, and somebody had tweeted to him this morning that uh, somebody in the Star Wars community had passed away. And you don't know the name, but you might have known the face. His name is uh, David Leibowitz. And he was a guy who was standing online or in line for Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones in New York City when Conan sent Triumph out to interview the people standing in line. And he was the guy in the Yankees jacket with the blue lightsaber. I don't know if you can see this. Yep. That guy. And, he, you know, he has, you know, dark hair. Apparently he called out sick. And um, didn't realize that he was going to be on national television later that night. But apparently a friend of his had went on to Twitter and said that he found out that a guy or a co-worker of his, yeah, he died. He lived alone. He didn't have much family. Kind of a sad thing. But it was just sort of a nice little nod to, you know, somebody who in the Star Wars community, everybody, I guess, has their 15 minutes of fame somehow, some way. And that was this guy. Triumph is making jokes toward him and he replies i don't deal with lesser life forms to which triumph replies then you must be a really lonely guy (laughs) (laughs) dude that is of all the triumph things i think that has to be the the quintessential one that people reference the most yes yes that is the the go-to on any sort of Conan or Triumph reel. When he goes up to the Darth Vader cosplayer, he looks at the panel of buttons. He goes, which one of these buttons do you press to call your mother to pick you up? Uh, and what was the guy's name again? David Leibowitz. Any relation to Fawn Leibowitz? Don't know who that is. You see, you see, 
I have to do a better job with you and some of the classics and the movie Animal House. Oh, man. Yeah. I've only seen that movie like twice. So the whole thing is like there's like five of them pack into a car and they're going to an all-girl college to pick up girls. And and the ringleader um, goes there and he goes to this sorority house in another school to pick up his fiance Fawn Leverwitz. Uh Fawn Leverwitz is a girl that he saw in the paper had died. <laughs> Who, who went to that college. So he went there under the guise of picking her up so that her friends would feel bad and go out with them, which is exactly what happened until they took him to see to the roadhouse where uh, Otis uh, was playing and they lost the girls to some other gentlemen at the club that night. You mind but, if we dance with your dates? But Fawn Leverwitz is the name of the girl who had passed away that they pretended to have known in order to scam the other girls into going out with them. And the fact that I reference that just shows that I am uh, I'm one step below the guy with the blue lightsaber. <laughs> Green lightsaber. Green. So no, so that that that, and it's nice that the guy that Smagel like did he respond and say you yeah know, that he had a great sense of humor and it, and and he liked and he said that, that was his favorite bit of all time because everybody in that crowd were so good spirited and were into the joke and they all got it and they were just they 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 were the perfect straight men you know like they were just he set them up and or they set them up and he knocked them down. So my favorite thing is one of the people he is ripping on is a pregnant woman, like, you know, like mid-20s. And he tells the baby, it's like, this is probably the last time you'll be in a woman. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yep. Well, thank you for bringing that up. No, now we'll get into some other stuff. And it's not awful. I just want to say AOC is a fucking badass. We've always, you know, both of us have been fans of hers. But this week she gave a speech on the House floor that honestly will resonate for years. People will reference her speech for generations to come, I believe. And um, I did you did you hear? Do you know what I'm talking about? Am I just barking into the night by myself again? Or I'd seen you, a, a clip of it, but I know that it went on for some time. It was basically her retort to the uh, representative Yoho from Georgia or right. who it, who called her a fucking bitch when uh, it's it, 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 like on, either on the floor or in the house somewhere uh, it, they were in the hallway yeah and, and he said it to her in front of people in the media and other congress people on both sides like he was with another republican you know plus 60 white republican you know conservative guy and said it and and for a couple days it circulated oh he said this and then there was like no he didn't say that or uh, you know his his office said well he muttered something to himself walking away but enough people who were there said no he said it right to her um to her face and walked away to the point where he couldn't back out of it and had to not apologize. Not apologize. Uh, you know, it's good. Thank you for saying it that way. But he did. He stepped up to the mic and he manned up in the very, you know, male Republican way to apologize by not apologizing, but saying, you know, people say things in the heat of things. And I, you know, I let my emotions get away, but I wouldn't say certain things. I have a daughter 
and like you know using that shit and then said something like the whole republican thing it's like you know it's like well i want to just make sure that you know people understand that i didn't mean any offense because you know i have a family and uh, i'm a man of god it's like Okay, well, you know, uh, I'm quite sure Jesus Christ swore when his hand was nailed into the cross. So, you know, even men of God can. can, But his non-apology was addressed the next day. And my wife could not be any happier. A lot of other women that I follow on Twitter that you see in the paper. It's like, thank God that somebody spoke up as as succinct, as eloquently as she could. and, And no. You know, lots of times when people call somebody out in the political arena, they do it politically. They don't want to, you know, set fires or burn bridges or whatever. You know, a victim of these things, you know, sometimes, you know, will be passive and saying, well, I, that wasn't really a sincere apology. And I don't want to say she went scorched earth, but she 100 percent just said, that's not an apology. And I've dealt with that language. And, you know, and she, you know, went on. It's like, you know, for you to reference, you know, when men do that, say, oh, like, you know, I, I'm more respectful of women. I have a wife and I have kids. And he goes, I'm two years younger than your youngest daughter. You know, it's like so to try to hide behind to use your wife and children as shields. And then he, she also called out the guy who was standing right next to him who didn't say, hey, dude, that's not cool. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's the one thing that, you know, we've been talking about as a as a country, you know, for months now since the George Floyd thing. And, you know, you standing silent next to somebody who's saying awful things is as bad. You being a cop standing next to somebody choking out George Floyd is just as culpable. If you, you if you're standing next to somebody accosting a minority person of color on the subway and don't do anything about it. You're as bad as the person doing it type thing. So, but I did, I heard so many people on different stations and different programmings just saying, it's like, yeah, this, this is the moment. Like, you know, there's been so many awful things, but the George Floyd moment was, was a turning point, you know, and and there's been other turning points, but the civil unrest hasn't stopped since then. It it really hasn't. And, and, you know, there's been other things since then, there's going to be other things, you know, but her speech, I really believe, you know, was powerful, was smart. I mean, and the thing is, she's crazy smart. She's crazy, you know, on the right side of history. And the thing that makes her um, a nightmare for the GOP She's young. She's going to, you know, she is going to be around for a long. Yeah, thank you. Joe's crossing his fingers. But, you know, she's going to be, I think she's going to be around for decades to come. I mean, she's like, is she 30 yet? I heard she's 30 or 31 because people were tweeting that she turns 35 in 2024. And somebody also tweeted the first woman in history who's ever been encouraged to turn 35. <laughs> I almost did a spit take. I was hoping it. I saw you taking that Diet Coke, and I was like, "Oh man, this is going to go all over his nice little computer." Um, Joe, I want to talk a little bit about the Lincoln Project. I think I think it's safe to say we're both fans of the work that they've been doing for the past few months. Yeah, I mean, if if there's one thing that we have given credit where credits due is how great the GOP is of awfulness and awful ads for years and bumper sticker campaigning. And now 
you know, the weaponized, you know, mechanics of part of the GOP is turned against Trump. And the Lincoln Project has been brutal towards him. Absolutely brutal. No doubts about it. I've already used the expression, but I used it again. They've gone scorched earth on him for several months. And it's really upset him. Like, like it's noticeable. Like, you know, some of the, sometimes he's referenced, you know, some of their ads and, and people around him have come out and, and, you know, have said, it's like, yeah, those ads really get under his skin. I applaud the work that they are doing. I seriously do. I hope they continue the work for the next hundred days. I seriously do. At the same time, it's one of those things where, you know, here we go. Here we go making another Star Wars reference. And I say we by dragging you down into this, you know, pit of misery with me. Um, Darth Vader picked up Emperor Palpatine and saved Luke Skywalker by throwing him down the garbage chute or whatever, you know, know, that that chasm inside the, the Death Star. Second Death Star, which didn't look finished, but it was fully operational. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a great moment. Darth Vader saved Luke Skywalker and, in a sense, saved the rebellion. Um, it did not bring um, all the Jedi that he had killed before back to life. It did not erase that Anakin Skywalker walked into the Jedi Temple and slayed younglings with his own hands. It did not, you know, bring uh, Alderaan back as far as I'm concerned. So these people with the Lincoln Project, they're doing great work. But Bunker Boy didn't happen by himself. Bunker Boy is a manifestation of the Republican Party since George Wallace in 1964. I mean, the misogyny, the racism, the war against the poor, everything that we hate about Bunker Boy, the white supremacy, all that stuff, it's it's been the Republican Party. And I'm not just saying that, you know, to be um, – it's just a fact, you know. It's just a fact, you know. This is the party of David Duke. This is the party of George Wallace. This is the party – you know, you go down the list. And so I was thinking about this today as I was doing the rundown, you know, and other people have, have said a similar things. I'm not that smart. But Bunker Boy is the Frankenstein monster. Like, like the Republican Party wanted to see if they could create life, if they could, you know, you know, take an Abbey normal something, <laughs> Abbey something brain. <laughs> and and. Now, yes, did the monster get out of their control? Did he did he exceed like their expectations? But he's everything that that party has worked towards since at least 1964, maybe even before that, you know, maybe maybe when Nixon ran against Kennedy in 59, I mean, or or predated. But at least since 64, this is everything that they've been pushing for. You know, when the Koch brothers ran for the libertarian ticket in 1979 election, uh, the 1980 election, rather, um, you look at their platform. And again, it's it's the misogyny. It's the racism. It's the war on the poor. It's a war in the middle class. It's the, you know, the populism. And so all these people for the Lincoln Party, they're still Republican. They're trying. And I've heard different guys on different, you know, interviews saying, look, I think we need a strong two party. You know, I'm a I'm a fiscal conservative. I still believe in X, Y and C. But, you know, this is too much. It's like they're not turning this this machinery against Lindsey Graham. 
they're not turning the machinery against Mitch McConnell. Like they think that he, the bunker boy is out of control and, and cannot, and the Republican cannot survive another four years of him, but they're not turning this machinery. They don't want to lose the Senate. Like, like, you know what I mean? They're like, okay, we'll help Biden get in because another four years of this our republic doesn't survive. And I believe that these guys believe that when they say it. On the other hand, I don't want to give them too much credit because, yeah, they they were part of this machinery that allowed this to happen. And although he got out of control by their standards, they're not lobbying to help the Democrats keep the House because they're worried. They're not worried about Mitch McConnell appointing you know, more Supreme Court justice people of that. They're worried that Bunker Boy unchecked is going to destroy the republic for good, not not just their party. So I, I'm applauding everything they're doing. I'm liking everything they do on Twitter because, you know, I'm a boss. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, they're they're part of the problem. I mean, they led up to this. Yep. The enemy of our enemy is our friend for now. And then when the job is done, you can go back to being a, a, a fuck. And, uh, yeah. Okay. So yeah, just, uh, yeah. Keep doing what you're doing. If it turns a couple of Republicans against Trump for the new, uh, the next election. Great. Great. You've done your job. And then we'll go back to uh, trying to crush you as a party. <laughs> right, right. Thank you. Um, so as we're, as we are recording this, uh, John Lewis's body is, uh, being laid, uh, in state, like, you know, on display, you know, in his hometown, and it goes to Washington this week. Um, I don't know if it happened before we recorded it last week, but I just wanted to touch off uh, again, um, you know, just how awful the GOP is, because it wasn't one, it was two different U.S. Republican senators who, when John Lewis passed, um, tweeted or posted Facebook pictures uh, giving their condolences to their friend, John Lewis. Um, but posted pictures of them with Elijah Cummings, <laughs> you know, uh, an, an, another, you know, civil rights, you know, leader turn like, you know, congressperson um, who happens to be black who died last year. Yep. Although I want to say something. If I put both of those pictures of, of Elijah Cummings and John Lewis next to each other and a picture of Chadwick Boseman. I don't know if you'd be able to tell either of those guys apart. Uh, I, I, Chasmick Boltman is like 40 years younger, so I, I get that one. No, but look, even 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 if I was like, you know, um, you know, a, a person that my wife has worked for before who didn't like the movie Black Panther because all the actors looked the same and he couldn't tell them apart and they should have used different actors is what he said. And it's like, yes, this man said this in 2018. <laughs> and even if he believed that, you know, the fact that he had no problem like saying it to somebody. Uh, but yeah, but for, you know, but like I said, it wasn't just Marco Ruby. I forget the other piece of shit that did it. But it, you know what I mean? If, if you're not sure, you know what I mean? Don't, don't, you know, don't do that. Um, Joe, you ready? Write this down because I'm going to blow you away. Person, woman, man, camera, TV. Things a fucking stupid president says in a television interview. <laughs> Dude, it's like. Did I win the first- pyramid? First of all, the fact that you're bragging about having to take that test, <laughs> you know what I mean? It, Do you follow like, that Sarah Cooper? She 
is a fucking national treasure. <laughs> and and somebody else I heard on the radio I, say this this I week. I sounded like a 70-year-old guy when I referenced Sarah Cooper. Do you follow that Sarah Cooper? She's a real, real firecracker. She's wonderful. I love her. For the somebody had said it, I think it was on MSNBC. It's like for the first time in four years, I can stomach listening to him now because when he gives a speech, I just get giddy because I know it might not be today, maybe tomorrow or the day after, but oh, it's going to be awesome when she posts her next video. Yeah, so it's a comic who from home during quarantine became very popular on Twitter. If you don't know, she lip syncs pieces of. Trump speeches, which are ridiculous, but the way she delivers them are, are just fantastic because they're word for word, cadence for cadence, perfect. And it's her facial expressions that, that sell the entire bit. I, I, I mean, I, she's not doing anything. She's not writing any material. It's just her face when she when he pauses and he's looking for the for the word or he's saying something that he thinks is going to be wickedly smart, you know, and, and it, oh, she is a goddamn national treasure. And yeah, no, every, everything about But getting back to person, her. woman, man, camera, TV, that's that, uh, that uh, competency test or the uh, I'm not crazy test or I'm not senile test. My mom-in-law, uh, ha- you know, had to take it, a, you know, a couple times she took it and, and it's, it's not funny because, you know, management was talking about that. You know, he's bragging about taking the test. They don't they don't randomly give you that test. You take that test if they think, hey, we should test for this. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like part of the test is draw a clock. Circle the elephant. Uh, you know, follow this pattern. A, 1, B, 2, C, question mark. You know? and, and then the fact that he lies about everything when he was going off, it's like, oh, you know, if you can remember it in order and, and remember it in order, like five minutes later, you get extra credit on the test. And, and so many doctors I've heard on different shows, like there's there's it's a pass fail. Yeah, there's no extra. There's no bonus points. <laughs> he said bonus points like he was, you know, like in the twenty thousand dollar pyramid. But what also makes it funny is that he had to give examples of the words that were given to him during the test because Frankly, he couldn't remember them. And right. the, the 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 just you know going down like as you say the list person. Then what comes to mind? Woman. What's the next word? A uh, uh, man. And then he's in an, he's in an interview setting. So what does he do? He looks around. Camera. Uh, camera means TV. I love TV. So those are the five words that he chose. Somebody on Twitter said, "Yeah, he's like Brick from uh, Anchorman, Weatherman. I love Lamp." I, are, are you are you just saying you love the lamp because you see it, or do you really love the lamp? <laughs> so, yep. Anyway, that that added some levity to an otherwise awful week. I like how he um, he's using all these interviews to sort of garner, you know, some sort of PR points, or, or I don't. I, I'm not. I guess this is all part of the campaign trail and getting himself out there and putting himself on more platforms. Like uh, David Portnoy, fucking of all people, interviewed him for Barstool. Did you know that? I did not. Yeah, not a, not. I'm not a Barstool frat boy. Yeah. Fan. Well, I saw the clip of uh, it was a, yeah, it was a clip of him being interviewed. And anyways, but um, 
you know, this is all distracting from him invading all the states now, which is, you know, he's invading Oregon. He's in, well, what, what other states is he going to invade next? Well, he, he listed them, and, and you, you're going to find this hard to believe. Stand up, Joe, so, so I can tell you to sit down. Uh, you're going to find this hard to believe. They're all cities led by Democrat mayors and states where the governor is a Democrat. And, you know, I was th- I was, you know, I put that on the rundown because this week, you know, the wall of moms in Portland after... I know the secret police has been there for like close over a week now because we talked about this last week. You know, a wall of moms, like thousand moms, you know, out there arm in arm. And then the next day, the wall of dads with the moms and the wall of dads showed up with leaf blowers to blow the smoke back. Like literally, Mm -hmm. they they literally brought leaf blowers to blow the smoke back. The tear gas? Yeah, you're tear gassing moms. And, and and I've said this before. It's like, you know, what piece of shit, you know, playing playing Stormtrooper, you know, goes home. It's like, honey, did you see us on the news today? We showed those bitches, you know. You're, like, you're, you're, you're assuming these guys go home to women. They do not. <laughs> <laughs> you're, but, I mean, it's like, how do you how do you feel? It's like you're going to war against the U.S. And, and so he's doing that. And the appointed, appointed. Deputy Secretary, you know, has said the same thing. Wolf on a couple interviews this week. They're they're not backing down. They're going to Chicago. They're going to Wisconsin. I forget where else. And, and he, it, dude, it's you know, I, I'm watching them. They're going to Poland. Gas. They're going to what other? <laughs> I, 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 I'm literally watching them tear gas this wall of moms, thinking, wow. Phase five of the MCU has really just reaching. Well, I you mean, know, I mean, if if Biden gets elected, that's that's Biden's America right there. Dude, enough. I, I mean, literally, the fact that people are saying this is what Biden's America will be—it's like, well, that's, that's that that's now. Trump America. That's what's ha- because he said he, he put the end. You know, I mean, you know, it, it, it's it's so bunker boy, like you said, he's looking for these campaign, you know, PR things. So this week he started his his covert briefings again, and they drugged him up, and they had him read off a. a uh, a teleprompter, and it's the first time that he ever has said it's really bad and it's going to get worse. And 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 people turning around like, wow, he's really presidential. But then he couldn't, uh, whether it's on the teleprompter, but he kept over and over saying, this is all China. China sent it here. It's all China's fault. You know, it's like I'm not even getting into how it's not China's fault. But the the point is, like, he had two prep briefings in a row, and it's like, no doctors in the room. And now, as you and I sit here, like the war on Fauci is still out there. And I saw it on Twitter. Fauci threw out the first pitch at the um, first baseball game at the Washington Nationals game. Then he's sitting in the stands in his own section. There's nobody within rows of him. And he's sitting with his daughter. And I think it's his daughter and his son. Our friends. Yeah. And he doesn't. There's three people. Fauci sitting next to his daughter. He's in between the two. Yeah. And they're basically alone in a section. And, and he doesn't have his mask on and people are like, you know, it's like, see, he, he's saying wear a mask and he's not even wearing a mask. It's like, dude, it's, you just. Well, it's, they, the, I mean, the context is all out of whack because he was wearing a mask, first of all. Second of all, he was pulling it down to take a sip of water and to talk for, you know, a couple of seconds. And by the way, he's with people he knew in a ballpark. And, and furthermore, he was tested the day before negative for COVID. So the guy is clean as a whistle. He's he's Mr. Anti-COVID. He's, you know, patient. If there's an opposite of a patient zero, 
It's him. It, it would be him. Although I will say one thing I love about the the, the really bad, bad, bad first pitch that Dr. Fauci threw. Uh, TMZ had a good headline. <clears throat> Dr. Fauci's first pitch socially distances from home plate. This <laughs> is really, it literally went, and I'll use this word properly, it literally went six feet to the left of home plate. Now, now, what what do you mean you're going to use that word properly? I'm, I'm, I'm confused. <laughs> Another person said, well, of course he threw it away from home plate. He's all about people not catching anything. <laughs> Dude, uh, you know, it, 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 like... I, it, if, if Fauci says anything, so here's the scary thing. So last week there was a war against Fauci. This week, starting starting maybe tonight as we record this, the Sinclair Network that is funded by the the the, the Koch brothers. Remember how people about two years ago on Twitter started showing that the Sinclair Networks have them have their anchors read the exact same piece of news and it goes from station to station to station and then they have that grid of like a hundred stations saying the exact same talking like not like kind of the same thing but word for word the same speech yeah yeah there there's a hit piece coming out within the next day or two against Fauci on the Sinclair Network and the whole thing is it's like they're they're trying to distract because the CDC like Ted Lieu if you follow Ted Lieu on Twitter, which you should, the head of the CDC testified on Friday saying, look, they're not going to rush to open schools, you know, until all the safety precautions and procedures are in place. They're going to follow the science that they're not going to be swayed by political pressure. And then, oh, this was on Thursday. And then on Friday, they're like. Yeah, go ahead and open the schools. Everything will be fine. Kids 10 to 18 can't transmit the virus. And Ted Lieu is saying that he wants to bring charges against the head of the CDC for for perjuring himself because he said under – and Ted Lieu put this – under sworn – under oath that they were going to follow the science. And now here they are flat out saying open the schools. And – you know, it's just like the whole thing where we talked about last week or the week before what pieces of shit the Disney, you know, corporation is. Like their executives are ordered to stay home and work, but you minimum wage people working at the park with the public, you get your fat asses in there and start serving those corn dogs because you're not worth saving. So, you know, Bunker Boy, who was pissed and he pulled you know, had the hissy fit about three months ago because North Carolina said, yeah, we're not sure if we're going to have a convention indoors here during a pandemic. So he pulled it and went to Jacksonville because, you know, DeSantis, the governor of Florida, you know, put on his knee pads and said, hey, well, come down here, have the, you know, have the GOP convention in Jacksonville. And they've been bragging that they're going to, it's going to be great. And then one by one, all the 80-year-old senators and Congress people in the GOP is like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to make the trip down there. <laughs> and, and, with, and, and not so much a fear of people getting COVID and dying, but the fear of having another Tulsa rally which nobody shows up for. He, and, and this past week, the, you know, the head of the police came out in Jacksonville and says, I don't think we can do what needs to be done to get this, you know, to, to have these safety things. And so Bunker Boy had to, after bragging that it's going to be great, he's only going to have a convention if it's in person and it's all these things. So he has to lose his convention. So the GOP pulls out of having a convention. Bunker Boy says, yeah, you know, with the pandemic the way it is, we can't have it. And it's too bad. It, it was going to be great. Um, 
So it's not safe to have a convention in Jacksonville in three weeks, but it's safe to send kids to school in Jacksonville in three weeks. That is a profound point. No, I mean, mm. am I am, am, am I right or am I? It's the same thing. It's like, oh, you know, this is a hoax. COVID is a hoax. We got to get Paul Manafort out of jail because COVID is so bad and he might die in prison and it's not safe to have people in prison who are rich old white guys. So let's uh, let's make sure we get him out of jail. I, you know and, what? I think you got him. I think you got him this time. I think... <laughs> I think we got him. No, but 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 why? Why? And, and again, like you know, this past this past week when he had his COVID thing, like he said at the second COVID hearing, it's like, oh, I talked to Vladimir Putin today. No piece of shit. And I don't care if you're on MSNBC, if you're on CNN, if you're you know the Washington Post. If you were in that room and you had the chance to say, oh, you talked to Vladimir Putin, did you ask him about the bounties on U.S. soldiers' heads? Well, the fact that somebody didn't say, wait a minute, you're canceling the convention because COVID is spiking really bad in Florida, but you're insisting the kids go to school in Florida? Mm -hmm. Like the fact that nobody will say that because they don't want to get banned from being able to come to the press conferences. It's like, dude, the media is just as culpable. E even the left-leaning liberal bastions that I listen to, if nobody is going to say to him, hey – how come, you know, Lindsey Graham pulled out of going to the convention, but in his state, he's pushing to get kids to go to school, you pieces of shit? I don't know. I, I don't know, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Back to – actually, real quick, for some reason, this reminded me of it. When Back to the Portnoy interview, the Barstool yes. guy. At the very end of the clip, he goes, uh, you could say no to this, Mr. President, but my father is not the biggest fan of yours. But I want to see if we could FaceTime right now with him. Just and just see what his reaction is, and and uh, yeah, Trump was like, "Yeah, sure, yeah, we can do this," and he FaceTimes and he goes, "Yeah, so I'm here, uh, Dad, with the with the president," and you know, it's funny because you can hear what the father's saying, and the father is just like, you know, not chewing him out, not you know, this is his moment. It's like, oh my God, the president of the United States is talking with my son, and I'm talking to him, and I can see him. You know, would you, if you were in that situation, would you, you know, speak your mind or would you say, hey, Mr. President, can you get my son to call me more often? Because when I saw him call, I knew it wasn't something, you know, it was something out of the ordinary, you know, and he was being lighthearted with him. And I think that that sort of mentality carries over to a lot of people, you know, in, in private, you know, we're all tough guys. We're all say, yeah, fuck the president, fuck this, fuck that. If we were ever face to face with him. You know, how many of us would be ballsy enough to to, to, to say what we got to say, to say, you know, and to, to put our, put ourselves out there, you know, put ourselves in the crosshairs of the vengeful Republican and Trump tier party? Because, you know, I don't want to be doxxed. I don't want to be, you know, death threaded if I say something negative to the president. Uh, well, I'm not smart enough to not. I've been, I've been in situations where I've been around people who control my destiny, you know, bosses or investors or, you know, other things where I've been like, yeah, this is wrong. And I'm not I'm not smart enough not to say you're a piece of shit. You need you know? to be a journalist then, because that's the kind of integrity we need on the front lines in journalism. Speaking of integrity, let's get right into sports and uh and you are going to lead the charge because you led the charge with a sports tweet today. I did. What did I say? You did. Oh, great. Uh, oh, I, I know it. I know it. So there was the opening day for the Boston Red Sox on Friday. 
and they were playing the Baltimore Orioles in Fenway Park. And as was done you know, on Thursday's opening night game with uh, the Yankees and the Nationals, during the National Anthem, both of those teams, uh, all, the entire roster essentially took a knee in support of Black Lives Matter. And similarly, the Baltimore Orioles team did the same thing, took a knee during the National Anthem at Fenway Park, along with three of the Red Sox. <laughs> and you see, as they pan from left to right, you see the line of Baltimore Orioles players and coaches taking a knee along the third baseline, and then they go up the first baseline, and everybody's standing wearing white and Red Sox uniform, except for like maybe one or two guys but it's just like really way to stay on brand red Sox. way to stay on brand boston's not that racist come on that's old news but now here you are in 2020 during the most racially tense what you here's your chance here's your chance to put on airs and say hey we're not as bad as you think we are okay i guess we are guess we are oops you know and it's not like they're it's not like they were going to be booed by anybody either the, the, it's a, it's a empty ballpark they were half of the attendance at Fenway right park. right yes you know who was going to you know like it, it makes you wonder it's like really are these because uh, there was um what was it one ball player that did not take a knee last on thursday said that he wasn't going to take a knee because he's a christian i forget who it was but so we got a lot of Christians on the Red Sox, or do we? Is that is that the is that the case? Is the Christian uh, or or are they or are they just like having flashbacks to Buckner? You know, like oh no, right. if we if we go down on our knee, we might not be able to come back up. <laughs> we'll we'll ruin our career, dude. Just so well said. Just I, I didn't need a reminder of why I stopped following the Red Sox and got out of baseball after 2011. But hey, you know, thanks for like you said it best. Way to stay on brand. Way to, you know, way to continue to be pieces of shit. I mean, sure, yeah, you did change the name of Yaki Way, but did you? <laughs> you yeah, know? right, right, right. You know, uh, as far as baseball, I want to give a shout out. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll talk about maybe even more next week. Uh, a friend of mine who, you know, friend of Price is Right and a friend of Rodney, uh, um, a kid named Donnie who worked for the Pirates, Great kid, just graduated Suffolk. Um, he is going to be doing play-by-play on Nesson. He's 22 years old. The Futures League, single-A baseball in, uh, in New England. Um, single-A is started playing games. I think they start playing games this week. And they got a three-game deal with Nesson, and he's worked for the Bravehearts, uh, the Worcester team, for like four years. The kid's like 22, and for five years, he's been the play-by-play guy and the social media guy since literally his junior year or senior year in high school for the Worcester Bravehearts. Well, now that, you know, he he went out and got a three um, – for for Nesson to cover games because at the time when they made the deal it wasn't sure baseball was coming back but they Nesson is still giving them three games on days so the Red Sox don't have games and the kids gonna get to do some broadcasting on Nesson so you know pr- literally I, I kind of have that proud papa moment you know I know I'm not gonna get this feeling of being a proud papa and a sports related thing with my own children ever so <laughs> you know but but yeah so so there is some positive thing and um. And I did want to ask, because uh, do you think, what do you think, it, and honestly, we're 12 months away, you think we have an Olympics in Japan in 2021? 
Hmm, I don't know. I don't know. If we do, they might ask the United States to stay home. You know, or 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 do I? I don't know. I really don't see how well this is going to be under control in even a year. You know, it may be pretty. It may be a lot better than it is now, but it may not be so well off that they. Although on the second half thought, this is the IOC. They kind of, you know, they kind of uh, don't really treat their athletes all that well in the long term. And the almighty dollar is, you know, those ad dollars are going to be are going to be a calling. So um, that's a tough call. That's a tough call. I think they'll be if, if they do, there'll be a lot of stipulations in place. Obviously, even if the U.S. gets their numbers down to the lowest levels it's been since the start of the pandemic, but. Um, I don't know if it does happen. It's not going to be a normal looking. Hey, everything's back to normal. Good old, good old Olympic games. Just yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, is it is it's is it a is the Olympics? Two, are there people in the stands, or is it just the athletes? Like sports are being played around the world now. And but the biggest question is, and it is the biggest question: Will U.S. athletes be able to go? Because yes, you will still have the Olympics, even if Team USA doesn't show up. But the, what what are the worldwide ratings? You know what, and I don't. I should have looked this up before we started the podcast. I don't know if Russia can go to the Olympics because I think they were on like a four year ban. The entire Olympic hmm. thing, uh, yeah, because of like the mass. Um, it wasn't like one sport got popped for like you know doping. Yeah. It was the entire Russian Federation, and they took it to like the World Court and even lost in the World Court. So you know, I don't even know if Russia could be there. But yeah, I mean. There's going to be no ratings in the U.S. I mean, there, there will be no ratings if the Team USA isn't playing. It's like, you know, honestly, they might as well, like, you know, show reruns of uh, McHale's Navy joins the Air Force. <laughs> <laughs> then, you know, then a swimming. I mean, it's it's one thing. I mean, how much how much swimming are people going to watch anyways, you know, without um, – uh, oh, who's Phelps. our big? Right. Uh, yeah, without Michael Phelps or, or Jimmy Spitz, you know. But uh, <laughs> Spitz. <laughs> but but seriously. Um, so yeah, so I was thinking about that today. It's like, yeah, we're a year away because this 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 week is when the Japanese Olympics was supposed to start happening. But yeah, I, you know, I I don't know if in a year, you know, where where we even be from there. Okay, moving on to to the most important things to our friend Flores. Favorite part of the podcast. What are you doing video game wise, Joe? Hmm. What all have, what have I been doing? Well, I've um been playing more of that game Bloodstained on PS4. What else? Um not a not a whole lot of exciting news. You know, just sort of tinkering with the old stuff here and there. Pretty pretty boring, but I'm sure that you have more exciting news. I don't want to brag. You you know me. You know me. I don't I don't like to brag. Humble Jacques is what they call you. But Joe, one of the two of us has unlocked the infinity rocket launcher on Resident Evil 3. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. No, it's a, it's a it's a big big moment. Uh did it this morning. Um I'd like to say that it was uh, a lot of hard work, and it was. It was hours and hours of playing to get, you know, en- enough points to be able to, you know, buy it from the, um, you know, you have to unlock it. I'm pissed because about three days ago, I don't get to play that much, but I logged on, and the character was wearing 
a retro outfit from when the game first came out, you know, like in 96. And I'm like, why is a woman wearing this costume? And my little guy's like, oh, I bought it in the store. I'm like, dude, I was saving those points to get the infinity log. So, I mean, I had to play it through like three extra times to make up for what he had spent (laughs) on this thing. Um, These kids are yours, man. And and then, and and I, because I didn't want any spoilers, I didn't read ahead. At one point in the game, if you get, you know, you can get this magnum that you that you don't need. You know what I mean? It's like oh. one shot with a magnum or two shots with a shotgun rifle. Well, there's shotgun rifle you get early and you get ammo all over the place. So, do I really want to spend ten minutes? To because you have to, it takes about ten minutes just to crawl through this and go over this and up down and unlock this door to get. But uh, if you kill eighty people with the magnum, um, you you get like twenty thousand bonus points, and the rocket launcher is like sixty thousand. Oh. So it's like, and it's like, oh my god, if I knew that, I could have. And you and you only get enough ammo to kill like fifteen people, maybe twenty people per game. So if you get it four playthroughs, you can. <laughs> and I have played through like maybe like ten times. I'm like, oh, I could. And then and look, the rocket launcher. All it does is just let you run around and just blow up everything, like everything, you know. And it's just. But that's why you play the game, is so you you learn all the nooks and cranny of every environment in this in these vast games. Or even not so vast with Resident Evil 3. But then it's like, yeah, now you want to play God mode. Now you want to be, you know, the destructor. You want to, you wish there was like a Stay Puff Marshmallow Man mode so you can just go so around much. and just crush everything. And uh, so, that, so that's my big news. I mean, uh, pr- which means by next week, I will probably have not played the game at all because I actually got a couple projects I got to get back on this week. Because, I mean, the worst thing about, I've been playing the game for two weeks now and. Um, my workouts, my drumming and my, uh, productive on like, you know, stand up in a script have, uh, not been what they were the two weeks before I started playing the game. Hey man, this is summertime. You got to take some time for yourself, you know, got to learn how to, how, as they say in 1991, chillax. Uh, so that's, that's, that's my big news. Um, Joe, what are you watching that we haven't already talked about (laughs) or that we've already talked about that you want to give a recommendation (laughs) I finished uh, season nine of Curb Your Enthusiasm. That there's a, a Hamilton um, tie-in towards the second half. It's uh, he. It's been five years since the previous season, and in those five years, Larry David has written a musical called Fatwa, the musical, and he goes to publicize it, and he gets denounced by the Ayatollah, and they he, they put an actual fatwa on him. But then it, after a long series of events, the Ayatollah will lift the fatwa if they get Lin-Manuel Miranda to star in Fatwa the Musical. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually produce, and Fatwa the Musical is basically about Salman Rushdie's life. And Salman Rushdie does a, a, an appearance in one of the episodes. And it's a really good season. And the last two episodes focus on the actual production numbers of Fatwa the Musical. And Lin-Manuel Miranda is such a dick. In this, in it, like it's so great. he's such a dick. Like a, a big portion of the, of the uh, of the meetings that he has with Larry David and Jeff Garland, you know, his manager in the in the show, is they they go to the meet at this office, like the agent's office, Lin Manuel Wells' agent, and they're all fighting over 
the desk because Lin-Manuel Miranda wants to sit behind the big desk while the other two guys sit in chairs because that's the power seat. And so he starts taking over the writing and the, the concept of what Larry David has already written. And it's like, yeah, you know, but I want to write my own music. I'm thinking this, I'm thinking that. And like, and Larry David's like, we, we, I, I got to get that seat on our next meeting. He, he's taking over the entire meeting. I got to get that seat. And then they wrestle to the ground to get <laughs> to, the, to the desk the next meeting. And it's, oh, the laughter I had. Anyway, Curb Your Enthusiasm Season 9 on HBO Max. Uh, also, I briefly, 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 briefly saw that uh, uh, an ad for Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice Ultimate Edition on is that is that something that's already been released that is just now on HBO Max? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. And and honestly, I'll make it short. I promise. So the ultimate edition makes a difference because that 20, 25 minutes they put back in there explains a lot of stuff, oh, yeah. explains a lot more stuff. So it's like, unless you read death, or, you know, death of a salesman, unless you read like, you know, you know, the death you know, of Superman, death of Superman, Batman returns and stuff like that. You could pick up the missing pieces here and there, but, but the ultimate edition is made for people who, you know, had lives who, you know, got late in high college and, you know, and, and didn't, you know, have to rely on this. So, yeah, so it's definitely worth watching. I would definitely say that. Um, if I'm going to recommend something, I would recommend Fletch. If you got the time, Fletch Lives is worth it. I mean, because there's a couple of great lines. It's like one of the best, you know, um, was she feeling all right last night? She felt fine to me. Um, <laughs> uh, use the whole fist doc. <laughs> Moon River. Um, uh, so yeah, so if, if, if you know Peacock is free, it's a free thing. You know, a lot of free content on it. You don't have to go the five dollars a month thing. Uh, but that would be my recommendation. And parenting tip: you got a parenting tip, Joe? No. What's your parenting tip? We watched Super Eight the other day. Really good movie, Super Eight. The whole, you know, there's a group of kids who are making a movie. And that's how come they end up having a camera when they discover that there's a monster running around the town. And this is like late 70s, early 80s. 1979. And they have an 8 millimeter camera. And it's great because the town is on lockdown. Like, no one knows there's a monster, but the military's there looking for it. And the kids end up, like, using the train wreckage in the background. Like, they change the little movie that they're making. So they're making a movie during the whole time of the movie. During the credit roll, they show the entire movie. Our 10-year-old, uh, he kind of likes Super 8, was mesmerized with the kid's movie at the <laughs> end. I mean, 
like management and I sat there mesmerized watching him watch the kids movie at the end and he could see that you know what they were shooting was shooting and it's great because I ended up using that to say buddy that's what I'm talking about when I got you the GoPro it was to do this kind of stuff see how those kids they're your age you know so my parenting tip would be you know find something like that that motivates them to go and do it so you know maybe you don't have to sit through the whole super eight to get to the credit scene to watch, but it was it, it was it was it was really he was so dialed and it was bad the movie was bad they're 10 year old and, and the, you know it's great that there were such good actors that they could play that bad of an actor like they're, <laughs> you know, they're they're really good actors in this huge Spielberg movie at the same time they were really bad actors in this bad 8 millimeter film that these kids made super eight was a jj abrams movie and it was that and honestly what you're saying is what jj abrams was trying to convey to an audience is that he wanted to do a steven spielberg-esque movie about kids making movies in the late 70s because that's who he was in the late 70s he was that kid making movies on super eight film and so I think your little one getting inspired or maybe being sparked to potentially make movies of his own in the, in the future, hopefully of the, um, of the tasteful kind of movies. Um, I think uh, a JJ, you know what? Tweet JJ Abrams. I'm sure he's around on Twitter. Just tweet him once his movie is ready to be uh, premiered. You know, put a link uh, on Twitter to that, uh, that film. And then, you know, CC JJ on that. I'm sure he'll enjoy it. I'm sure that he will take, uh, he'll take ownership of, um, of, one, uh, uh, of, of knowing that somebody out there was inspired you know, by Super 8. The, 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 the funny thing is, so the kid who starred in, in Super 8 was the kid who starred in my movie. And oh. so I like Joel Courtney. Okay. Like, like, so, I mean, I can literally, and I have two, mm-hmm. I, I, I have one degree of separation from J.J. Abrams from two big sources. So, I mean, that, and that's, that's the fucked up thing. When I try to get the kids to do something, you know what I mean? <laughs> or, or, or I try to get you to help write the script. It's like, dude, it's, it's, it will actually go to the people who make it like 99.9% of people out there trying to do the, or tell their kids, Oh, make this movie. And we'll, we'll tweet at J.J. Abrams. It's like, that's great. And sometimes those people respond. It's like, yeah, I can make sure he sees it. You know what I mean? Maybe the reason I'm not doing it is because I know that I can't do it. And I'm not uh, a good worker. And I'm a lazy person. <laughs> it's okay. I'm not, I, I shouldn't have guilted you like that. I apologize. You can edit all that out. But it, but it is. It's frustrating sometimes. It's like, oh, my God. It's like all, all these opportunities are right there. You know? It's like, you know, like I said to the, it's like the wife, it's like, you know, all, all, all the guys, you know, out there who like force your kids to play sports. It's like, you know, if my kids had any inkling to, you know, do any sports, it's like, yeah, you know, it's like, you, you live with a guy who, you know, isn't good at any of them, but man, I've, traveled around the world coaching you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's like same thing it's like you know it's like how many every every kid who comes into our house who sees the piano or the drum set like can i go play with that it's like that's what it's there for you know my kids it's like not happy birthday anything but happy birthday not happy birthday so with that said joe another successful podcast i look forward to talking to you later in the week and um 
Don't forget. <laughs> Shepherd's hand